All right, well, we are in week number two of the series called How the Nations Rage. Let me just give you a heads up here. This was originally intended to be a three-week series, and then we shrunk it down to two. And uh, I've been struggling all week because I felt like the Lord was saying, okay, this needs to go to three weeks. This needs to go to three weeks. And I was like, let's just keep it at two because I want to be done with this series. It's not my comfort zone. All right, I said this last week. Um, But then literally all week I was planning. And and part of this was because November 3rd is coming up soon. You know, and I thought, we got to, I want to get through the series. I want to talk about these things, give you some time to process some of it. Maybe that helps you, you know, come November 3rd. Um, And so I was planning on cranking it all out this morning. And then last night, I just did not feel peace. And it was like the Lord kept speaking to me. And sometimes the Holy Spirit sounds a lot like my wife, you know, and I'm I'm kidding. I I ran this by her and I joked with her and I said, I feel like I should do. And she said, you're just going to be frustrated. You know, if you, if you try to shove this all in two weeks and you're not going to feel good about it. I'm like, you're right. Okay. God, you're right. So let's move this to three weeks. So this is going to extend into next week um, because I feel like what we got to talk about this morning, there's a lot to talk about. I think it's important. So if you're following along in the Bible app, sermon notes are in there. Uh, What you'll see in there is if you go there, you'll see this week's and next week's notes, all right, Um, because we're dividing this sermon into two weeks. But this week, you know, last week we talked about the role of government. And today and next week, we're going to talk about the role of the church. And so I've said that this week is the role of the church part one. And uh, so we're going to talk about this here in a minute. Um, I referenced this last week. I want to bring it out again. There's a couple, three great resources for you. Um, This book, How the Nations Rage, which is the title of the series, kind of based, uh, the content's based out of this book uh, by Jonathan Lehman. And then another short book by David Platt called Before You Vote, Seven Questions Every Christian Should Ask. Um, Two pastors in the D.C. area that I respect highly. Um, And so there's a couple great resources. Uh, A third one um, that we don't have on the screen, the link is in the Bible app. Uh, It's an online workshop by this gentleman, uh, Jonathan Lehman. Uh, it's, it's a long thing, so you can, you can have fun with that if you want to. Um, but last week we defined politics, and I went simple with this definition that the politics is the way that people living in groups make decisions so that we can live together in, in harmony. And we talked about three purposes of, of government, um, and I'm just going to remind you of these things real quick for review review's sake. We talked about purposes of government being to render judgment for the sake of justice, to build platforms of peace, order, and flourishing, and all of that to set the stage for redemption. So we talked about that last week. We looked at three really important political passages in the scripture. We went to Genesis chapter 9. We looked at Romans 13. And we also looked at Psalm 2, which is kind of the basis for this title, How the Nations Rage. Because if you remember Psalm 2, the psalmist says, Why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain against the Lord and against his anointed? And so we see that the nations are, are raging against the Lord and against his ways. And so it sets the stage and it tells us that Jesus is going to be the ultimate king and his, the government is going to rest upon his shoulders. Uh, but we looked at that last week and today we're going to talk about the role of the church. Like how do we as the people of God fit into this thing of politics in our world and in our nation in particular. And so we're going to talk today about our political identity, our political identity. And then next week we're going to talk about our political activity. And, and I said it earlier, as I kind of welcomed everyone, uh, I think our, my biggest job as a pastor is co- to continually remind us and remind myself of our identity, who we are in Christ, because everything that we do, all of our activity flows out of our identity, 
who we are and who, who we see ourselves as. And so today we'll talk about our identity. Next week, we'll get really practical on our activity. How does this flesh out in the way that we conduct ourselves, how we vote and all those things? But last week, I just want to remind you again, last week I asked you to have grace with me. I want to ask you again to have grace, um, grace uh, with me um, because I may say some things that you don't totally agree with. Um, I may not say some things that you wish I would say, all right? And so just have grace. Let's have grace with one another. But know this, know that I'm not coming at this from um, a left or a right perspective. I'm trying to come at this in a biblical way as much as I can. I'm not trying to preach to one side or, or the other. Because honestly, if I'm being honest, I see some really good things and some really good intentions from both parties, from both sides. And yet at the same time, I see, I see two very deeply flawed parties, right? I see, I have, I'm very troubled by some things I see on the right and on the left. And so I'm not trying to come at this from either one of those perspectives. I'm trying to, to speak on what the Bible speaks to, okay? And so I want to speak about our identity today. And so let me, let me start by defining, you know, last week I was, we defined politics. Today we want to define the church. And I want to start with this quote by Jonathan Lehman, who wrote this book, How the Nations Rage. He defined church as this, and I, I, I like this definition. He says, a church is a group of Christians who identify themselves and each other as followers of Jesus through regular gathering in his name, preaching the gospel, and celebrating the ordinances, which is baptism, Lord's Supper. So a group of Christians who is, a church is a group of Christians identify themselves as followers of Jesus. They regularly gather, they preach the gospel, they celebrate the ordinances. And the reason I'm starting with the definition of the church is because I want us to realize that I'm, I'm speaking to the church, to the people of God this morning. And when, when, we, when we talk about this, you know, when, when we come to Christ, when we put our faith in Jesus, something monumental happens. The Bible says, 2 Corinthians 5.17, we become a new creation. We receive a new identity. Okay, we're changed. We're a new man, a new woman. We're a new person. We're placed into a new family, okay, the family of God. We become son or daughter of God. We're placed into this brand new family, and we're, we're, we're transferred into a new kingdom. From the kingdom, the Bible says, of darkness into the kingdom of God's dear son. So we change allegiances. Everything about our identity and who we are fundamentally changes when we put our faith in Jesus, are you tracking with me? And this, this sets the stage for everything. We are different people when we come to Jesus. And uh, I want to read this other quote by Jonathan Lehman. He, he says this, The most important thing about you is that you are united to Christ through the new covenant and made a citizen of his kingdom. Now, if you are a follower of Jesus, we have to agree with this that the most important thing about us now is that we are united to Christ, not by anything that we've done, but because of what Jesus has done for us. We're united to Christ and we've been made a, a citizen of his kingdom. Okay, that sets the stage for everything that we talk about today. Because in my opinion, most of what we struggle with as followers of Jesus is what, what pastor, author, Paul David Tripp calls uh, identity amnesia, right? We forget who we are. And sometimes we do things and we behave in certain ways and it's kind of like, did I just black out? What, what happened? Why did I do that? 
Well, typically it's because the fundamental problem is we forget who we are. We forget our identity. We have identity amnesia. And so what I want to do today is help remind us of who we are. Remind us of who we are specifically when it comes to our political identity. Because if we could get our political identity straight, it would help us in all that we do. Because be always comes before do. Who we are, we want to be a certain type of person, be who God has called us to be, and then we will do the things that God has called us to do. And so let's talk about our political identity. And as we work through this, I want to reference a passage um, through each of these points. First Peter chapter 2. And we're going to kind of come back to First Peter 2 verses 1 through 17 over the course of, of this morning, because I think it's a really incredibly helpful passage about our identity. Because the book of 1 Peter, this letter, is, is written to exiles. Okay, do you know what an exile is? Someone who is living in a foreign place, who has been inserted into a different culture. And so 1 Peter is written to exiles, which we'll see in a minute, we are exiles. We are living in a foreign world because we are of a new kingdom, right? And so 1 Peter 2, we'll be going to this passage uh, over and over. But there's three big ideas that I want to talk about this morning when it comes to our identity. And I want to give you a series of, 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 of two items, one before another. It's not saying that one is, one is not good. It's some, saying one is more important, all right? And so, so follow along. Here's, here's the first thought. And, and these are the three biggest concerns I have when I look at the church today, that we get these out of order with our identity. The first thought is this, theocracy before democracy. Theocracy before democracy. I, I mentioned this idea of a theocracy last week. A theocracy is under the rule of God. Now, Israel was the original theocracy. It was under the rule of God. And there came a point, if you know the Old Testament, where God's people, Israel, said, hey, we want a king like all the other nations. And God said, I don't want that, but you know what? I'm going to give you what you want. And then it, it proceeded to go from there. And, and, and what I'm suggesting with this idea is not, I'm, I'm suggesting theocracy before democracy personally, as people of God, not nationally. All right, make sure I'm not saying, hey, we need to, get rid of democracy. We need to get rid of presidency. We need to go to being under the rule of God. No, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying as the people of God who have confessed faith in Jesus, we need to live as if we're more under the rule of Jesus than we are under the rule of our own personal freedoms. All right, are you tracking with me? That we, we live with this idea that theocracy before democracy as great as democracy is, I love living in a democratic nation. All right, I'm not downing that. But as the people of God, living with the idea that we are under the rule of Jesus first and foremost is, is, is what I'm talking about with our identity. That we live more under the rule of Jesus than our personal freedoms. Because here, here's the problem. If we, if we pledge allegiance to a flag more than to our father what we do is we make our nation an idol. Are you following with me? If we pledge allegiance to a flag, and I'm not saying don't pledge allegiance to a flag, but if we do that more than we pledge allegiance to our father, what we do, anytime that, that something is on the same level or above God, we make that thing an idol. So you've heard the term God and country. I love that term, but it's, if we put God and country on the same level, we have made country an idol. Because anything that is on the same level as God is an idol. And you know what God does with idols? He tears them down. 
he wants to rip them out. And he will, in the end of all things, he will tear down every single idol. But God, God and country, great idea. If God is first, country is next. Are you tracking with me? So theocracy before democracy, because we don't want to make a good thing, which is our nation. We don't want to make a good thing a God thing. And I, and I tell, I, I tell you know, my son this, you know, a lot of times when we, when we make an idol out of something, God does, is not pleased with that, and he will tear it down. And so the longer, if we as a nation make our nation an idol, man, that's not, that doesn't lead to good things for us. So as a church, let's make sure that Jesus rules first. You know, one of the ways that we can tell when we're putting democracy first, here's just one of the things that I see, is that we tend to, we tend to live on one, one extreme or another when it comes to political leaders, political parties. We, we do one of two things. We idolize or we demonize. We idolize or we demonize. When we idolize a party or a person or a leader, man, we put them on a pedestal. We think they can do no wrong. Have you ever idolized somebody in your life? Surely, like when you're a kid, you idolize sports figures or different people, uh, actors, people. You idolize them. You put them on a pedestal, and they can do no wrong in your eyes, right? That's what an idol is when, when we think of idolizing someone. Sometimes what we do is we idolize political figures or political parties, and they can do no wrong. So some of you are mad at me because I said I see deep flaws in both parties, and you're like ready to fight. <laughs> you know, you're ready to throw down. That may be because you're idolizing a party. You're not seeing flaws. Every party has a flaw. Every person, we're flawed people, right? And so be careful we don't idolize, that we don't look at a person or a party and say, they could do no wrong. And honestly, I see a lot of this, that we idolize and, and we write off things that otherwise would maybe bother us. But when it comes to politics, we go, ah, this person's on the right side of the issues. And so I'm gonna, I'm gonna look, overlook some things. Be careful that you don't idolize. But then on the other extreme, we can demonize. We can demonize the other side. And to demonize means we basically say that this is of, there's evil here, there's, this is of evil. And, and we can see some traces and again, both parties. But when we demonize it, if anybody has an opposing viewpoint, I'm going to demonize them, and I'm going to act as if they are the spawn of Satan. <laughs> and we can do that. We can demonize. And so let, let, me, let me give you a couple verses. When we idolize, just this idea, reminder that Christ is the king of kings. He is the only one that sits on a pedestal that, that, that can't be touched. And, and I, want to, I want to read 1 Timothy 6, verses 15 and 16. This passage, speaking of Jesus, uh, the Lord Jesus Christ, it mentions in the preceding verses. It says, he who is the, only, is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and Lord of, lo uh, Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see. To him be honor and eternal, eternal I'm messing up all my words this morning, <laughs> eternal dominion. He is the only sovereign. He is the king of kings. And so to, to idolize, man, we put somebody on the same level or above Jesus. And we're told, man, he is the only one who rules and reigns. He is the king of kings. And then when we demonize, um, here, here's just a reminder. When we demonize other people, other parties, I want to remind us of this because we get confused with this a lot. Our enemy is not the other party. 
Our enemy is not those who oppose our viewpoint. Our enemy is not even human. Our enemy is not even human. In Ephesians 6, 12, in this great passage, talking about putting on the armor of, of God so that we can stand against the, the schemes of the devil, it says in Ephesians 6, 12, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. Ephesians 6, 12. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. And so Paul reminds us of something really important that I think we have to constantly remind ourselves of, is that our enemy is, is not one another. Our enemy isn't Republicans or Democrats. Our enemy isn't even human. What we wrestle against are the forces of, of darkness against the rulers, authorities, cosmic powers over this present darkness. And so I, I wanna remind us of this when it comes to theocracy before democracy. You know, in the New Testament, there's this, this kind of ongoing theme that once we come to Christ, that we are set free from our bondage to sin so that we can become slaves to Christ and so that we can serve one another. We can use our freedom not just to enjoy freedom, but to serve others. And I want us to read First Peter, and I mentioned this earlier, First Peter chapter two. I want us to read a few verses here. First Peter chapter two, starting in verse number one, Peter says this, so put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. And I just gotta pause there because don't we all need to hear this in a political season? Put all of that stuff away. And again, he's talking to followers of Jesus, exiles in this world. He says, put all of that away, all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy and envy and all slander. It's as if we, we get a pass when like when election season comes, like I'm picking up the slander again and the malice and the deceit because the nation and the world is at stake. And so I can write all this stuff. Mm -mm. No, he says, put it all away. All of it, verse two, like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation. He's talking about the word of God. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good, as you come to him, speaking of Jesus, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves like living stones are being built up a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in scripture, behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. And then let me read verse number 16 here. I'm gonna drop down 1 Peter 2, verse 16. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover up for evil, but living as servants of God. And the reason I go here is because you see in this passage that Jesus is this, this cornerstone and we are these living stones built on him. In other words, he is the king, he is the foundation and we build our lives and our identity and everything upon him and we live as servants of God. And so we are, to, we are to, to make sure that we live with the mindset that we are under a theocracy before we're under a democracy. We're under the rule of Jesus first and foremost. And then that governs, again, how we live 
in a democracy. But first, we got to understand our identity, first and foremost, as under a theocracy. Okay, here's a second idea. And this is a big one, y'all. Here's, here's the second one. Christian before American. Christian before American. And this is one that is easy for us to forget. This idea of our identity being Christian first means that our identity, our personal identity is connected to Christ first and foremost. First and foremost, that we are citizens of heaven before we're citizens of America. So, you know, for generations, there's been a phrase that's been used about America being, and I mentioned this last week, is a city on a hill. And I get what that's saying because we're the land of the free, the home of the brave, and all those things. Again, America's a great nation. But Jesus didn't say America was a city on a hill. You know who he said the city on a hill was? The church. Matthew 5, verse 14, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus preaching to his followers, he says, you're the salt of the world, you're the light of the world. You're a city on a hill that can't be hidden. And so he's not talking about America, he's talking about the church, the people of God. You are the ones, we are the ones who are to shine brightly. Now, America, if America has more and more followers of Jesus, man, we can light up the world more, but he's talking to Christians first and foremost that America will fade, but the kingdom of God will endure. The kingdom of God will in, endure. Um, you know, so we're, we're Christians first, Americans second. Christians first, the, the, the church, and I love this analogy. Jonathan Lehman uses this in his book, and it, it helped me. The church is, is political like an embassy is political. So think about a U.S. embassy in, in, in a foreign country. So, so a U.S. embassy in a foreign country that embassy cannot control the, um, the, the military. They cannot control or command the police in that, in that nation, but they represent the full power of the U.S. government in that nation or in that country, the full power of the U.S. government and military. And so an ambassador in that embassy represents or speaks for the president, Right, so you have this embassy is like a nation within a nation. So if you step foot on uh, into the, the U.S. embassy in any foreign nation, what they'll say to you is that you are standing on U.S. soil, right? You're, you're a nation. That, that embassy is a nation within a nation. And the ambassador of that embassy speaks for, represents the president of the United States of America. In that same way, the church is called to be an embassy. The church is political like an embassy is political. We are called to represent, to formally represent the King of Kings, the only sovereign. That is what we've been called to do. The one who rules all of history and we speak on behalf of and we represent Jesus, the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. So we function like an embassy. We serve as an embassy of, of heaven. We, we represent heaven's rule, all right? So when the world looks at the church, what the world should see is a group of people who are living under the rule and the reign of heaven, who are living under the rule and reign of Jesus. And we can then represent 
our king and this holy nation that we've been called into, we can represent that to the world. And so we look different. Our identity is different. Our behavior is, is different. We function as an embassy of heaven. We're a nation within a nation, y'all. And so we may be American, uh, but we're Christian first. Here's how I'd say it, because sometimes we could say we're like Christian Americans. I would flip that and say we're American Christians. Because listen to this, Christian is not an adjective. It was never meant to be an adjective. Christian is a noun. It describes a person who follows Christ. It's a little Christ. So we talk about Christian music and Christian movies and Christian alternatives, all these things. Like Christian was never meant to be an adjective. It's, it's a noun. American describes who we are as Christians, but we're Christians first and foremost. And so Christian before nation. Let me read First Peter. Let me go back there. First Peter chapter 2, verses 9 through 11. What Peter says is this, but you are a chosen race. This may be one of the best passages on our identity in Christ. You are a, a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you, and here's again our identity, as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. So he reminds us, you're a sojourner. You're just passing by. America is not your final destination. You're in exile. So love the nation you're in, love the place where God has planted you, but don't forget you're a sojourner, that you're in exile, that this is not your home. This is not your kingdom. It isn't. Heaven is your kingdom, and that's the nation that you represent. That is the kingdom that you represent. We're a holy nation. We're sojourners and exiles. And so, again, our political identity, theocracy before democracy, Christian before American, and that, that, is, that is a big one because I see a lot. I see a lot on social media. I'm like, you've, I feel like we get confused easily, that we see ourselves as American first, Christian second, because we're able to push some things aside in the name of America. And I'm reminding us that we're Christian first and foremost, that we're Christian first and foremost. Here's the, third, here's the third thought. Partnership before party. Partnership before party. And when I, when I say partnership, I'm referring to this phrase, and I, I, we talked about it a couple weeks ago. We introduced this idea of partnership in our church as opposed to membership. Um, and I, I referenced Philippians 1.5 where Paul talks about our partnership in the gospel. Okay, that we're, we have this, this mutual a commitment to a mutual mission, that we're on mission together. We have this partnership in the gospel. And this is what I'm talking about, partnership before party, that we put our hope in Christ before we put our hope in a political party. And I know this is simple, but, but we forget this, that only Christ can redeem. Only Christ can, can redeem our political party cannot redeem us. It cannot redeem our nation. Only Christ can 
redeem. Every party has strengths and every party has weaknesses. And every party is broken. Every party is broken. Our primary allegiance, and you've probably heard this phrase if you've been around for a minute, our primary allegiance must not be to an elephant or to a donkey. It must be to a lamb. It must be to a lamb. And again, I'm walking on, you know, a fine line right here because some of you have an allegiance to your party and, and that's okay. But our allegiance first and foremost has to be to the Lamb of God. The Lamb of God, first and foremost. Partnership before party. Partnership before party. And I say that because here's the thing. And we, we live in, okay, we live in the South, right? We live in mostly a red area, right? Um, the authors of those books that I reference are pastors in the D.C. area. So there's a lot more diversity when it comes to political ideology and, and which side of the aisle you're on. Okay, I can't imagine that, that, that would just, all of the tension that would exist in a church where there's Republicans, Democrats, and independents represented Pretty evenly, probably, I'm assuming. Um, and here's the thing. Say you're a Republican, and you look at a Democrat, and you go, man, there's so many differences in the way that we, we think and believe and what we see as good policy and what honors God. Um, and yet, the reality is, there are some, some very strong Christ-loving Democrats. And for some of you, you're like, no. That's hard to believe, you know, or vice versa. You look at this and go, do Republicans really love, and there's, I'm telling you, on both sides, people that love Christ, that are mature in their faith, that are, that are doing the work of the gospel. And I know that can be hard for us to believe, whichever side, or maybe we're in the middle, that there's people on both sides. Here's the reality. We may differ a lot in policy and a lot of things, but we have more in common with a Christian who is of the other party than we do with somebody of our party who's not a Christian. You realize that? We have more in common with somebody who is in Christ, but who may not be of our political persuasion. But sometimes what we do is we're, we, are, we, we live as if, and we speak and treat others as if, what's more important is what party we're a part of, right or left. And the people of God that we're, to, we're called to be united to. We're called to be unified. Remember, we talked about it a couple series ago when Jesus prayed. What Jesus prayed was that God's people would be unified around his name and his mission. And for some of us, we're more unified around our political party than we are with the people that we're to partner with in the gospel. And I want to remind us of that because Jesus did not pray that we would be unified with the people in our political party. He prayed that we would be unified with his people, with one another. Now, that means we love one another, we're unified with one another, we put partnership before party. And again, I'm not saying write off your party, I'm not saying ditch all of that, I'm saying partnership before party. Let's remember who God has made us to be. And so, First Peter, let's go back there one more time. First Peter 2, I'm gonna read some of these verses again, but I wanna read verses nine through 17. 
and I want us to see this again. He says, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people of his own possession, and, and here's our partnership, here's our purpose, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. That is the thing that unifies us. We are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. In other words, those who are outside of, of, of Christ, those who are outside of, of God and the family of God, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. And this is a tough verse. Honor everyone. Honor who? Everyone. Love the brotherhood. And he's talking about those who are specifically of the family of God. Love, honor everyone. Love the brotherhood, brothers and sisters in Christ. Fear God. Honor the emperor. Honor the ones in authority. And what's the reason for all of this? He said it earlier. It's because we want everyone on the day of visitation, the day when, when, God, when Jesus returns, when he establishes his kingdom, we want everybody to glorify God. And so we have a partnership. We want, to give them, we want to get the gospel out because we want everybody to stand around the throne and, and to worship Christ and to glorify him in the day of visitation. And so we want them to see in our lives and our conduct the way that we behave, the way that we honor everyone the way that we honor everyone. And again, social media is an easy place to dishonor others and act like we're okay. And I'm telling you, he says, honor everyone. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood, especially the people of faith that we're partners with. Fear God, honor the emperor. And so all we do and say is with the purpose of others glorifying God on the day of visitation. Let me expand this thought a little bit, okay, when it comes to partnership before party. Love of nation is good. Okay, I want you to love your nation. I want you to love your country. And God, God said in Jeremiah um, 29, um, I, I believe is the right chapter, uh, when he's talking to the exiles, Israel, who were in captivity, he said, seek the welfare of your nation, seek the welfare of your city, the place where I've put you, seek its welfare, do everything you do for its good. Be a representative there. Okay, so love of nation is good and I encourage that, I want that for us. But love for the nations is godly. This is what God has called us, not just to love, have a love of nation, but a love for the nations. Do you understand what I mean by that? Sometimes we can love our nation so much 
to the exclusion of every other nation on the earth. And, and I get it. As Americans, you know what? We, we play favorites, right? We're like, this is the best nation on earth. And when it comes to freedom and justice, man, we are in a, I think we're in a different class, but it's easy for us to play favorites as Americans. But let me remind, remind you that God doesn't play favorites. God doesn't look down and go, man, that nation, mm, that is my favorite. All those others are second rate. God loves all the nations and we are called to love the nations. In fact, Jesus' commission to the church was go into, you know what the next word phrase is? All the nations. No matter what nation you're coming out of, I'm calling you to take the gospel to all the nations. God plays no favorites. Jeremiah 10 verse seven, uh, God is called the, the king of the nations. Who would not fear you? Oh, king of the nations. In, in the New Testament, Revelation 15, they sing the song of Moses, the servant of God. This is around the throne. It says that the song of the lamb, worship in heaven here, saying great and amazing are your deeds, O Lord God, the almighty, just and true are your ways. O king of the what? The nations, the nations. God isn't just about redeeming our nation. He wants all the nations. He wants all of the nations. He is the king of the nations. Revelation 7. I love this picture in heaven around the throne. Every single nation on earth is gonna be represented around the throne. In Revelation 7 verses nine and 10, it says, after this, I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number from every what? Every nation, every, uh, from all tribes and peoples and languages standing before the throne and before the lamb clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the lamb. And so every single nation is gonna be around the throne. And so here's what I'm saying this morning. Love of nation is good. Let's, let's love America. But man, let's not forget that God loves all the nations and God has called us to love every single Nation, and I think one of the things that has made America great over over the years is the fact that America looks outside of itself and seeks to bless other and, and care for other nations and protect other nations. And so I think that's one reason why America is great. But y'all, our job is to love the nations. God loves the nations, and so be patriotic. But man, have the heart of God for the world. That's what he's called us to do. And so let me wrap this up and remind us of, of our political identity as followers of Christ. Theocracy before democracy. Jesus is my king. Jesus is our king. You know, I hear this a lot. When, whenever somebody gets elected, you know, that, pers- that, that party says, that's my president, right? There's this pride because my, my man won. And that's all well and good, but our first, our first cry should be, Jesus is my king. Jesus is, is my king. And he rules and reigns. Theocracy before democracy. Christian before American. That I may be a citizen of America, but first and foremost, I am a citizen of heaven. I'm an exile, I'm a sojourner, 
I'm, I'm an ambassador for the king in the place where he has called us. And so the way that I talk, the way that I behave, man, it's going to point to the one that I represent. Christian before American. And the third thing is partnership before party. That the gospel unites us more than anything else divides us. This is our identity. And this should guide all of our activity, all the stuff that we do. And next week, we're gonna talk more about that, what that looks like practically. How do we, how do we look at issues with, with our identity in mind? How does that guide the way that we vote and how the way that we look at issues and how we, we live in our world? That's what we'll talk about next week. But y'all, we, we have to remember and we have to remind ourselves who we are in Christ. Amen. And so, Father, this morning, thank you for all that you have done. Thank you for the fact that you have made us new, that you have, have adopted us, that you have given us a new identity as your son or your daughter, that you've placed us into your family, that you've called us into your kingdom. And now we get to worship you. And now we get to follow your lead. Now we get to live under your rule and your reign. And as citizens of your kingdom, we get to represent you as ambassadors. And Lord, as your people this morning, we wanna confess that we wanna live for, for your gospel. We wanna live as partners in the gospel, that we, we wanna put you above all else. We wanna put your kingdom above our own. We wanna put your, your holy nation, your people above our own nation. God, knowing that you've called us, you planted us here, but you've called us to be salt and light. And so, Father, would you remind us again today, once again, of our identity, of who we are in Christ, who you've made us to be. And Lord, if there's somebody in this room this morning that's confused about their identity, or maybe they're, they're outside of a relationship with you and some of these things they hear, but they're not tracking with, because maybe it's not true in their life, God, I pray that you would draw them to yourself, that you would help them to see and understand and know that you have made a way for them to move out of darkness and into light, that you have made a way for forgiveness of their sins to be received, that it's by the grace of God that you've called us and given us this great freedom. And so, Lord, I pray that you would remind us again of, of all that you've done and help us as we worship you today to worship you as your people, your called out people, sojourners and exiles in this world that represent your amazing, good, gracious kingdom. And so God, unite our hearts around that. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand with us?